0: <laughs> and we go taxi, and
1: with Killian, I open the door to find I go in the taxi, and I close the door, and I want to go inside, and Killian go out. <laughs> You're
2: gonna get someone messaging you afterwards saying, "Oh, did you mention me?" <laughs> hey, fuck <focus>. them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She say, "You, I cry because you are here today."
1: she will come. She won't up Hello and welcome to the No Choft Des Podcast, the Alpha Podcast. I'm delighted to be welcoming back Wayne Barton, a friend of the network and regular guest of mine, who I've had the pleasure of interviewing many times to discuss his superb books. Join us today, Sammy McElroy, the former Manchester United and Northern Ireland International, as we discuss his new autobiography. It would not be an exaggeration to say that Sammy McElroy experienced one of the most memorable careers in football, after all. Who else can say they played with George Best, Dennis Law and Bobby Charlton, experienced relegation, won trophies under six different managers at Manchester United. With more than 400 appearances for the club, Sammy, the last player signed by the legendary Sir Matt Busby, is truly a bona fide Old Trafford legend and is an intrinsic part of the fabric of the club's illustrious history. Sammy is one of the few footballers who have played in two international tournaments for Northern Ireland and been captain in one. Super Sam went on to manage his country after successful spelling cha- in charge of Macclesfield Town. The book, The Last Busby Babe, written with Wayne Barton, tells his extraordinary story. It is a book of sincerity, candour and intertwined with the obvious history of his time in the game and also has a very human touch. I'm therefore delighted to be able to talk to both Sam- Sammy and Wayne today. Gents, how are you? Right, thank you.
2: All good, Mike. Thanks for having us.
1: Brilliant. Now, thanks for coming on. Um, brings me to the first. Well, first of all, Sammy, um, I was watching a, a YouTube video of your recent um, a book tour, and um, I was a bit gutted when Wayne asked you what was your favourite kit, and you said it was the red one with the with the white collar. But Sammy, do you actually know how iconic that white admiral shirt is with the with the black lines going down? But I guess as fans, we look at it from afar, uh, while you actually got to wear them and have that badge on your chest. Which brings me to my first real question, and I'm going to start at the end of the book, Sammy, and in fact, on the final page. And there's a reason for this, because as I was reading it, uh, you know, the book does end with a theme that runs throughout the book. And that theme is that sheer pride that you had in playing for United. It it jumps off the page and you talk fondly and lovingly about tradition and heritage. And as a United fan myself, it is heartening to read that from, from a legend of the club. Um, I want to ask you, Sammy, what's, what's having this feeling? Did it help make you the player that you were? Um, and is it because you cared? And were there other players who shared this emotion and did it help their game as well? I think
0: with me personally, and, 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 and I talk were Wade in great length of this, one, I couldn't let my father down. I couldn't let him down. Um, he was the one that sort of started me off with a ball in my hand, told me about football played with me when he could and um, watched most of my games when I got him across the water from, from Belfast. And uh, I, I always had this, that if I play football, I want to be, uh, you know, for years and years and years, I want to be playing football. If I can play for Manchester United for a long time, which fortunately I did, and also play for my country, which uh, I did, and um, my father was my main reason why I can't fail at this game.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, the book is titled um, The Last Busby Babe, and you, and you were Sir Matt's last signing. How did it feel then as a teenager and since, as the years and decades have gone by? How do you reflect on that moment when Samat told you, sat you down and told you that you were going to be a Manchester United player? Well, obviously,
0: at first I had two years apprenticeship, uh, learning the trade, doing jobs around the ground, um, cleaning the, the players' boots and stuff like that. That was just part of our apprenticeship. Um, the treat of the day was when we actually trained with the first team greats of those days, best law chart and Paddyquaing, you know, Brand Kid William, all these people. And um, then, if you were doing well in the, in that two year apprenticeship, so mad at the time would invite you to join with the first team. And I was lucky enough to have a couple of little friendly situations with the first team when I was 16 years of age. And that gave me an insight of what exactly is uh, like to be involved with the first team. Great experience. Absolutely fantastic experience. Going to Bohemians, playing in front of 30,000 people in Dublin. Lucky enough to score a goal. And then when my 17th birthday came, I was invited to the boss's office and he said, he would like me to sign professional, which I, I couldn't wait to do. Money wasn't even a jo- uh, an object, to be honest with you. I just couldn't wait to sign the contract from the great man. I and mean, when you, honestly, hand on heart, being the last sign in those days didn't really come into my mind. Um, it's mostly after I've retired from football and, and, and come away from it and um, that I really am so proud that I was his last professional signing. But at the time, as a player, it didn't really come into my mind at
1: all. Great title for the book, though. Fantastic title. Um, A question for both of you. Um, What was the motivation for the book? How did it come about? Who contacted who? And can you tell us a little about the process? Wayne, can I start with you?
2: Yeah, I booked Sammy for years and years to do this. Um, Going way back to when I worked with Brian Greenoff on his autobiography, Um, Brian asked me to sort of contact some of the people that he played with and worked with. So Tommy Dockett, Gordon, um, Sammy—they were the obvious names that jumped out. Um, so when I talked to Sammy for it, um, naturally I just said, Oh, "Have you ever thought about doing an updated version of your Because obviously he did one in 1980, and he said, "Yeah, I've thought about it, but you know, not quite yet." Um, a couple of, but sa- uh, obviously, sadly, Brian died and we were meant to be doing a, a follow-up book to, um, to is not on, a follow-up to his autobiography, but we decided we were going to do something on the second division season because he sort of really wanted to revisit that time a bit and also to go back and interview all his old teammates because a lot of them, he'd lived in Spain for a few years and then caught up with a lot of the guys and what he really wanted to do was reconnect with everyone um so we had that in in mind to do that and then obviously passed away and a few months passed until i decided you know i talked to brian's sons and said oh i'm going to do this like what do you think if we do it in in brian's memory and all of the work from that i've done on the 70s basically has come from that because i did the film too good to go down which sammy helped me with and at every juncture sammy's been there helping always willing to give the interview um, and lots of time um, and we, we, I thought that when, whenever we had those conversations, we had a really similar wavelength in the way that we talked about football, the way that, you know, I felt like the way that I was understanding the seventies and, and Sammy's obviously synonymous with the seventies, the way that we understood it was, um, I felt like I was on a good wavelength with Sammy and the way that, you know, Tommy Duck's team played and, and the problems that were there earlier before Tommy. Um, it was funny that I think it might have actually been for the interview for the seventy four seventy five book just before that, or, or maybe just after, in fact, someone had contacted me and because they knew that I knew Sammy and someone had got in touch with me and said, Oh, um, do you know Sammy Mack? And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. And they said, well, I've got something that might be of, um, um, relevance to you, yeah, I picked it up at a car boot sale, and it was an old scrapbook of, of Sammy's old um, newspaper clippings from when he played when he was a young lad. And I said to Sammy, like, oh, d- someone passed me this on, do you want, want me to come and bring it to you? And he said, yeah. So I went to his house, and it turned out to be, um, I, I don't want to tell him Sammy's story, because I'm sure Sammy would like to tell himself, but the, the the folder turned out to be a, a, a basically an old newspaper clippings, scrapings, or scrapbook of what, his dad had, what Sammy's dad had kept for him. And that had been given to the original journalist who did the book in 1980, and they hadn't seen it since, I guess it just got lost at some point. So this book had been missing for 35 years, this little scrapbook. Um, Sammy's, um, or Sammy's dad's, you know, what he'd kept for him. And I think from that moment in time, I think maybe Sammy had his own little journey down memory lane and thought, you know what, at some point I will recircle around this and then we'll come back to doing the book. And um, it still took, like, another five or six years to convince him from that point, don't get me wrong. But um, we got there in the end and, um, yeah, it was... um, but yeah, I think that's how it, it worked out, really. And then and then Sammy contacted me early early last year and just sort of said, "Yeah, I'm finally going to give in and we're going to do it." And um, at that moment, it was just fantastic. Fantastic. From that time working with him, he's I had an idea of what he was going to be working with Sammy, but he's just been surpassed those expectations. He's just been a, a pure legend as a as a footballer and as a man.
1: Anything to add, Sammy?
0: Well, Wayne has covered most ground there, and um... Uh, as I say, um, at the end of the day, he, he talked about the 1980 book, which really um, I, I did it at the, just for the sake of, of doing it. My heart and soul wasn't really into the, it. It was about 1980. I was still playing. I knew there was a lot more to come from me in, in my life and in, and in football. And, um, you know, we, 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 we were in Belfast a, a few days ago and, and, and a man actually brought that book into me in the store and asked me to sign it. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, my God, it's the Beano. That's, that's what I call it. Um, you know, compared to what Wayne has done, uh, there is no comparison. But um, Wayne did track me and track me and track me down and made me and stuff like this. And in the end, I decided to have a go. And I thought to myself, right, this book, everything – football ways and things that's happened in my life and from my Belfast days. Everything's got to be told my way. I said that to Wayne and to be fair to Wayne, he went over and over and over. We went, we, we did this book in, in over eight months and everything was talked about. And Wayne, to be fair, was the first one to say to me, listen, we're doing this book, but it's got to come from your mouth and you have got to be reading it saying the way you want it to be said. And to be fair to him, he's done a fantastic job. And uh, as I say, we've got really close over the last eight, eight, eight months and uh, I'm so pleased it's finished now. And so far, so good with uh, with the reviews, if you don't mind me saying that.
1: <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, I, you know, I've read it and it's fantastic. Um, Sammy, I know you've been asked this a million times. I'm not going to get you to recount the George Best um, leaving you stranded at the station Um, You know, people can read it in a book and in in, in the other interviews. But what is your favourite George Best memory?
0: I mean, I've got so many memories uh, of George. I really have. Um, You know, I I can remember um, football, I mean, football incidents. And um, I can remember a game, one game we played. uh, uh, I've talked about this to, to Wayne. Danny Blanchflower, going back into the 70s, was the manager of Northern Ireland. And Danny Blanchflower was a fantastic man. Great player in his day in the 60s. Adel, Northern Ireland, 58. Captain of the World World Cup squad that went to Sweden in 58. Tottenham winning the double. Great man. Very smart man. Uh, Football through and through. Well, he was manager of us at the time in the 70s when we played this fantastic Holland side in Rotterdam. And Danny had the had the courage, if I may say so, I'm talking about George Best here, by the way, to draft George into the squad against Holland. Because George had obviously been, he'd been doing his little bits and pieces of disappearing and playing here and playing there. But he was in half-decent shape. And um, we played Holland in, in Feyenoord. And this, honestly, he put a performance on that night in flashes that, was absolutely magnificent. Danny was like a little kitten after the game. We were 2-2. We drew a Holland 2-2. George was involved in everything and um, Danny's face after it was like the cat that got the milk, you know, and uh, Nishkins was trying to kick him. Uh, Rudy Crawl was trying to kick him and he was putting the ball through their legs. He was just going back vintage best and after the game, we're in the hotel and we're all around the table having our dinner, having a few drinks. And the phones, the phone calls that was coming for Bestie from managers across Europe wanting to talk to him. It was frightening. And George just took everything in his stride as if to say, I'll talk to them and listen and, and whatever, because that's the type of man he was. You know, he didn't tell the, 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 the phone calls to leave me alone. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. He was such a lovely man. Every phone caller came in, he went and spoke to. And he came back and told the boys exactly who it was. And that was the man. And, uh, you know, he he was such a fantastic footballer, fantastic person. And the first one to come to me when I signed um, for Manchester United to wish me all the best, which I thought was an absolute fantastic gesture.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, And that does come out in the book, that, um, you know, that that, that affection. Um, Wayne, I know that you are always meticulous with your research for every book. Is there anything um, which surprised you during the process, any stories that really excited you to include and anything that you found difficult with this book?
2: No, I mean, yeah, thank you for the compliment. And Sammy's said that a few times as well. But Sammy's Mr. Manchester United. He's, only, he, he's called me an encyclopedia, but he definitely is. Do you know what I mean? Like, So there was nothing, I don't think between us, there was nothing that we didn't know that we wouldn't cover. It was about getting it right, making sure that the story was right with all angles and also making sure that it was told with decency. For example, I know that um, from... Sammy's point of view, he wanted to make sure that there was a fairer representation put across of Franco Farrell and Dave Sexton, something to balance this, um, you know, the, the commonly held opinion that they were bad managers for Manchester United. So he's tried to put um, the balance on record for that, which is, I think is a very sporting thing to do because you don't always see that. Um, so, so those kind of things were interesting to, to go over. Emotionally, there were some things that were difficult. Obviously, Sammy's post-United career, there were some things I didn't know about. Um, the, the instances at, at Berry, not Berry, sorry, at Stoke and at Manchester City, the way that things happened there, I didn't, I wasn't fully aware of all that sort of stuff. So that was interesting in terms of emotions. Obviously, there was the the summer of 1986 where he, he captained this. He was basically a professional, and, and we've talked about this in the book. Obviously, personal and professional polarization where you've got this professional high and personal low. And as I think it's actually said, one of the sentences in the book was if you separated the two into different years, then Sammy could say that 1986 was the best year of his life. But because of the fact that there was this massively personal, um, juxtaposition there with, with his, both of his parents passing in a matter of months, um, you know, I, I knew Sammy well. We'd known each other for a long time and, and obviously we've been working on this book and, and we've been getting closer and stuff like that. But there there are moments like that because we're not just like when we're doing an interview for a book like this, where I'm also talking about my personal experiences of grief and stuff like that. We're having a comedy. I'm sure Sammy will agree with me in those kind of moments. Sammy's telling me his life story, but we're having a conversation. I'm recounting, Oh, is this how you felt? Because I had this experience with grief. Is that something that you would feel like? And I can remember that we were meant to be talking about the world cup in that conversation and sammy got so emotional talking about his parents dying that none of that conversation was about football we probably spent about that was probably the longest interview we did probably about two and a half hours and we were just talking about life and death and grief and what what impacts that has so i think that kind of thing i'd always said to sammy from day one one thing i wanted to do was make this a human story and this man just happens to play football for manchester united and Northern Ireland. we'll see where that takes us i didn't expect it to take us on this journey where we were talking about grief and everything like that and that sammy's such a a man associated with football that someone will be reading this book and they'll come to that story and they'll be going oh my god do you know what that's such a universal thing that everyone can you know we can't all relate to scoring in an fa cup final can we but we can all relate to losing people that we care about and the way that that impacts our decisions that we make on a daily basis and I didn't expect that to resonate with me so strongly as it did. Um, So those things, and to, to be honest, I wasn't expecting Sammy to be as open as he was with that kind of thing, you know, to be that blunt and honest about it. So especially the, the later things in his career where he said, oh, I made this decision and I regretted it, and then it talked to, to the reasons why he regretted it and why he thought it was the wrong decision. Even if I, we would have a conversation where I'd be saying, no, I disagree because such and such, and Sammy was happy for me to do that. He wanted me to do that. He wanted me to challenge him because then he could go, no, I see where you're coming from, but I still felt like it was this decision that I made and I made it for the wrong reason or I made it for the right reason, but really it was the wrong reasoning." Incite, all that sort of stuff. I wasn't expecting it to be quite as open and honest as it turned out to be. And um, if I may say so, I think it's all the better for it.
1: Sort of a great link to the next question because reading the book, um, you know, I, I am struck by how emotive and poignant parts of it are. There are, as you've alluded to, lots of personal stories. It, it is isn't; an autobiography after all, but it just feels different to others about uh, about other footballers I've read. Um, I mean, the book paints a beautiful picture in words of a person, of a human who we are not just learning about from a football perspective, because that's probably why I would pick it up in the first place. Oh, you know, celebrating the highs, commiserating the lows, but also very personal stuff. And um, Sammy, um, you know, I mean, Wayne sort of alluded to it. They w- wanted to be everything and wanted to include everything, was it, in the book? Was it a conscious choice to in- to include the open and sensitive stories um, and how, how difficult was it for you to, one, talk about them, but also then to, to have people like me who I don't know you, but also people, you know, you know, people who don't know you, to, to read about your personal stuff? Well, uh,
0: to be fair, um, it, it was part of my life. It was part of my life when um, everyone thinks, especially 86, everyone thinks, oh, this is unbelievable. Captain of Northern Ireland going to Mexico. Um, what what a what a fantastic stage for your football career to be at at this time to be captain going to a, the biggest tournament in the world. and um you know I, I, I told Wayne about the story before I actually went to meet up with the Northern Ireland squad in El, in Albuquerque. Uh, I went to see my mother and I already knew my father was passing away. he, he was he, he was dying, dying of throat cancer and um, it, it was for me, those weeks leading up to leaving Manchester to go to Mexico were, were absolutely heartbreaking. And, um, uh, I was even thinking about, you know, how I'm going to cope with this. And, you know, I went to my mother and, um, uh, the doctor had said to my mother that, you know, it's best for me to go and, and, and keep my father occupied, keep him looking forward to the television. And, and, um, uh, this is a once or one to my mother before I left. And, When we got to Albuquerque, obviously, uh, my poor mother passed away, which I had no inclination at all. She was never ill, never ill in her life. She never complained about anything. We had such a fantastic, uh, you know, close bond. And uh, when when I found out that she had passed away, my my world had ended in Mexico. And I was wondering how I was going to cope with this. Wow. Um, Sorry, sorry, yeah. but, uh, um, you know, I, I, I've stated how um, I was told about my mother's death in the book, and um, which, uh, the more I think about it, and still think about it to this day, which I've told Wayne, um, I still can't come to terms how I was told about my mother's death. Yeah,
1: yes, and that definitely comes through in the book. Moving on to happier moments of your career, if I look at things like getting to Cup Finals and any opportunity I get to ask a player from your generation, Sammy, I really want to ask this because watching Cup Finals growing up and England internationals on TV, the commentators never fail to mention the size of the Wembley pitch and how different it is to play at the home of football. As a player and later as a manager, was this ever something that you were conscious of and did you do anything about it? Uh, Playing on the Wembley
0: pitch, Um, I used to watch Wembley finals from Belfast when I was a young boy on black and white television. It was every player's. I was thinking, oh, it must be unbelievable to play a cup final at Wembley. Um, The crowd, the band, listening to the band, seeing the teams in the hotel, uh, supporters travelling down. It must have been a fantastic day out. And I've said to myself, I must play in an FA Cup final. I've got to play in an FA Cup final. Lucky enough. Well, I say lucky enough. I've played in three, lost two, one one, and the pitch. Going back to what I call the old Wembley, um, every cup final day was absolutely boiling hot. Every day, every cup final, sorry, it was boiling hot. The pitch was big, and the atmosphere sapped you more than anything else. The the crowd seemed to suck you into the the occasion it was unbelievable. Um, but always remember my first FA Cup final against Southampton in 76 was the quickest Cup final I've ever played in in my life. We were odds-on favourites. We can remember we went away to Selhurst Park. I think it was three days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all press, interviews, uh, media attention everywhere, new suit for the final, boots, everything cleaned and um. Um, sponsorships, everything, unbelievable. Then you play the game, and a game went in a flash, and we lost one nil, and that was the most devastating feeling I've ever had in that day. Seventy six for worldwide, we got beat by Southampton um, on the day. Who were experienced, uh, a lot more experienced than us, and their experience uh, got them through. But. That day, for for me, over the years, to think I've got to play on an FA Cup final was one of the most disappointed days of my life to lose and how quick it went. It was frightening. It was
1: offside, though, wasn't it? Two yards. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, then. Uh, Relegation with United, Sammy. Unthinkable at the time. Unthinkable at any time, I guess, but it happened. Um, Wayne has written extensively about this. There's even a film about it, too. Sammy, how did you and the players feel about the incredible support that the team had during that season in Division 2?
0: Oh, frightening. Absolutely frightening. You know, you talk about the relegation um, and, and you were thinking about Manchester United can't be relegated. What was it? Was it five years after they'd won the European Cup or something like that? Not far off that or whatever. And we're getting relegated and it was just unthinkable. But... The rebirth after that uh, shocking moment of getting relegated was probably the best thing that ever happened to Manchester United at that time because that season in the second division, seriously, was probably one of the highlights of my career as as, as far as consistently playing fantastic football. We had a group of players that knew everyone's game. We backed everyone up. And that was everyone attack, everyone defend and the entertainment value, which the media and uh, the supporters, everyone took on board. Uh, the press we got was fantastic. And that was the play on that side was magic, magical.
1: Yeah, and, and that does come through in the book as well. Um, I want to bring it a little bit forward to the modern era. And there's um, there's a quote in the book. Um, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll quote it, um, the club was saturated in this sort of continuity, end quote. Now, this, this is my favourite line from the book, and it is, it is you, Sammy, talking about John Aston early in the book. Um, I'd like to ask you, has the present Manchester United lost this idea of what I would call institutional memory, that continuity that you talk about in the book, and which I believe is needed at a club the size of United of its rich heritage and past? Is this one of the issues that the club currently faces that has seemingly been forgotten and can we get it back? Well,
0: you know, I'm going back now, as I say, I go back to the 60s, as you know, and uh, I was fortunate enough at the time to come under uh, the great Matt Busby after the European Cup win in 68, I joined 69, and you can imagine the buzz about that place at the time in Charlton. Um, Paddy Creran, who was one of the main men when he played well, United played well. But the football, it was all talk about entertainment. It was talk about if you win, you've got to win well. And I, as a kid, I'm thinking about, I, I didn't really want to say, I, I didn't really understand um, to win, to win well. I thought winning, that was enough. Winning's enough. you won the game, Blab. But the way we were brought up, even as apprentices, to win, you have to entertain. Go and entertain who's ever watching the supporters. Um, you know, some of us said these people in Trafford Park, which was just beside the ground, as you know, in, in, in Manchester, they work all week. They're working through horrendous conditions. They want to be come and entertained on a Saturday. And when United win, you've got to win with flair, passion skill, everything. And I was brought up in that. And, and, and every man and manager that comes to Manchester United has got to have that way and um, belief in trying to win games. And to be fair, um, after Sir Matt Franco Farrell came in, who was a lovely man, successful at Leicester City, he tried. Uh, Tommy Dock got it back to a certain degree. There's no doubt about that, the Busby way. Were wingers, as I said before, and wingers in uh, Manchester United. As far as I was concerned, we're always blessed with wingers, entertaining players, match winners on the day, individuals. Um, Dave Sexton uh, was a fantastic coach, but just missed a little bit, I think, of what I'm trying to say that uh, Busby and Doherty had in their teams. Great man, Dave Sexton. I loved him to death, but uh, just missing a little bit of that flair that we, wanted, that we had before, sorry. And then, you know, Big big, big Ron came in and he was a big, uh, jovial character. Thought he was the best manager in the world, but he had that sense of um, trying to entertain as well. He was a football man and he, he knew to a certain degree that United had to win well as well. So the thing I'm trying to say is that whoever gets this job now has got to realise that history is important. For me, Van Hal didn't have it about the history and Mourinho and they won trophies at the club but they didn't know or believe uh what the history meant to supporters of Manchester United of how the game should be played.
1: That's great points great points Uh, Wayne as you know I'm an unashamed fan of your work and yet again this is a beautifully written book um there is a part I want to share and again I want to quote it Quote, you realise that being connected to Manchester United is more than just finals and medals. It's the associations you make, the little places in history you create for yourself or that someone bestows upon you. I'm quite proud of my own place, end quote. There's also the start of chapter 10, which I will let our readers read for themselves. But my question is this, does it take time and thought to commit words and sentences like this to a page, you know, to it uh, for it to truly convey Um, the subject's feelings or is it off the cuff or is it something Sammy actually said to you Um, it clearly expresses and encapsulates the feelings that you have Sammy and that comes across strongly in our conversation today but also in the book uh, which is the point and it works Wayne how can you answer that yeah
2: it's a mixture (sighs) of all all that Um, a lot of the stuff is verbatim like Sammy actually said it don't get me wrong and and if and if it wasn't the words which he actually said we went over it say is this what we're trying to actually is this what we're trying to say rather than like you know me just making it up and putting it uh, putting the words in his mouth everything that's on that page in that book is something that sammy's we sammy and i've gone over and said no this is the way that it needs to be written this is this is what i'm trying to say so let well, let's put that to bed yes i know ghost written books that can happen but this is sammy's book 100 percent. this is yeah. sammy's story the way that sammy wanted it to be told and nothing in there isn't um sammy's um articulation or, or the way that you want so all those, the the lines that you've just mentioned they're all from Sammy they're all from the heart they're all yeah. exactly as he means them um and so, but sometimes yeah do you know what like some things you do you are working on them together because it is a collaboration do you know sometimes it might be you know yeah it's Sam, Sammy's thing that ends up on the page but maybe I'll ask the question to him and he'll dwell upon it for a minute or so as he often did Sometimes if I got him with a good zinger, he might just sit there for a little while and think about what I asked before actually, you know, then articulating his response. So you get a few things like that, Um, you know, and obviously, yes, sometimes they are leading questions, you know, do, do you think such and such and then we'd work it that way, you know. But, yeah, everything in there, Sammy, and all all those kind of things. I mean, I said it earlier, it's Mr. Manchester United. Alan Keegan said that at the the event the other night. So it's not just me who calls him that. Sammy's now entering this generation of people, and Sammy will know exactly what I mean, and he'll probably be very uncomfortable with me saying it. There's a generation of people who Sammy look at, like Wilf McGuinness, uh, the people who are steeped in Manchester United history. You just refer to, like, there's three or four people who are alive that you think, oh, they are everything that Manchester United represents. Sammy's one of those people. He is now, and he will be one of those people moving into the next generation of, you know, younger fans like myself, and even older fans. As we lose more of those people, people like Sammy, um their prominence in United history in a strange way, um, almost excels, it, it becomes something bigger than what it currently is because they're still around to tell the story and hopefully Sam, will be around for a long time to tell his story. Um, you see where I'm coming from with this yeah. Mike, you know, they, they, it becomes something bigger as, as time goes on. So. And and Sammy is really, he is aware of that, even if he's going to bat off some of the, you know, out of modesty he might, or humility, or, or humiliate, he might bash it away back at me and say, oh no, you know, I just played for Manchester United, that kind of thing. But he is aware of that. He is aware of the fact that, you know, time goes on and time, as time moves on. It's like he said, he said it himself in, in interviews and he'd said it now if you asked him, the last Busby Babe. What does that mean to you? It means more to him now than it did when he signed and when yeah. he retired. So those kind of things they do take on greater significance as life goes on. Um, so yeah, he certainly. I mean, I mean, he might well feel uncomfortable with the fact that I'm calling him Mr. Manchester United, or that that people will see him in in the same light as they do Wilf and Bobby Charlton, for example. But he's. That's what Sammy's achieved in his life, unfortunately. There's no escaping from that, Sammy, I'm afraid, mate. You are now drenched in that history. You are part of it. And that's what your next step of your life is going to be that, you know. And it's something that you should be embracing because um, there's nothing to be more proud of, is it, really? It's an incredible thing. Sorry there, I, I might have embarrassed him to hell that he might want to just get off the phone now, but um, I've, I've given it the spiel there.
1: Wayne, that's a, that's a great answer, and um, do you know what, I, th- I think you're you're exactly right, and um, and as you know, I've mentioned this to you before, and it's certainly going to happen with this, my, you know, I'm, I'm of a generation, I've just missed it, your career, Sammy, um, I was born in 74, but my sons, um, they've read um, uh, Wayne's books and histories on United, and they already know that they're going to read this one as well because that's important. And, you know, us from us fans, you know, taking on board your story, taking on board how you feel about the club is important to pass that on. And you I know, just want to say thank you from that point of view. But we can't talk about the book and not mention Northern Ireland, of course. And the 1982 World Cup was also my first World Cup but as an eight year old, whereas it was your first World Cup as a as a as a footballer. I was mesmerised by the brilliant Brazil team watching players I've heard about, read about. Um, as a kid, there was also that familiarity of watching club players that we knew play for their country in a tournament. That was new to me. As a player at your first World Cup and looking back, it, it was an incredible run for the team, wasn't it? And what about that Jerry Armstrong goal? Oh,
0: unbelievable. Uh, for us to, to qualify was an unbelievable achievement. Um, nineteen eighty uh bingham bingham was coming back for his second spell, and um uh, things began to happen with this squad. It began to happen that uh the squad was getting together and and beginning to blend like a club team to be honest with you um we didn't have what you call a uh, f- fantastic number of players that were guaranteed places if, if, every time you know uh but in certain areas like the goalkeeper, Pat Jennings, unbelievable. Um, defensively, we, we we were solid with uh, my old pal, Jimmy Nickel, uh, in the defence There, big Chris Nickel, centre-back, John McClellan, John O'Neill, Mal Danaghy, left-back. We we were getting, beginning to get solid. Martin O'Neill, midfield, Tommy Cassidy, David McCreary, the old Manchester United player myself. Um, and up front, um, you know, we had, uh, we had wingers as well little Terry Cochran Ian Stewart Big Jerry up front Billy Hamilton up front were, were, were the sort of main players around at the time and Jerry's goal against Spain um, for us to beat them 1-0 not only, not only surprised and shocked a lot of people it, it, it shocked our organisation our Irish FA because we were supposed to be flying home the next day <laughs> And In our itinerary, we were flying home. And so we we put a stop to that, and they had to hastily uh, get us to travel to Madrid for the second stage. But um, there's a story there uh, 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 I tell in the book, and it's an unbelievable true story in 82. After that night in Spain, we went back to the hotel. And what we always used to do after games, and um, we used to have a drink, and as I say, Big Jerry... I uh, was a key member of the squad, especially with a mic in his hand. He loved to sing. And uh, we, we, were, we were having a little bit of a get-together, and it was really, really going. We're all around this massive big table in the hotel, having food and, and bottles of beer and whatever and singing. And I was sitting around the table, and i seen these people come in, putting bottles, empty bottles on our table, empty beer bottles on our table, going away coming back, going away. This happened for a, a number, of, number of hours. And um, next morning, I'm up and I'm down at the reception and I see a paper photograph on the back page uh, of this Northern Ireland squad around this table with, you couldn't see the, the tablecloth. It was just full of beer bottles, empty beer bottles and glasses, everything on this table. And so I couldn't understand the language. And I said to the, uh, the lady behind the desk, excuse me, can you just say what this says? And it, in words, national team beat by drunkards. So I picked the paper up and I'm thinking, I'm looking at it. And my big mate, Whitesides, a couple of yards away from me. And I said to Big Norman, hey, big man, have a look at this. And he went, God, he said, look at that. We drank more than that, Sammy, didn't we? <laughs> and it was it was such a statement but that was big norman just saying that that these people had put extra beer bottles on our table to make us look like a pub team really in in a nutshell and uh, the pub team beat their national team and brilliant. that was a fantastic achievement
1: brilliant brilliant uh sammy before i fire some short 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 questions at you um Neil Lennon, one of your former players, has taken charge of my team in Cyprus, Omoni Nicasia. Uh, just want to ask, has he, has he reached out to you for any advice? If so, can you share, share it with us? And if he hasn't, what would you say to him if he did ask you?
0: Well, no, Neil no, was, was a fantastic little footballer. Um, he, he was a very, very gifted midfield player. He very rarely gave the ball away, which is great, especially in international football. He's had a stellar career there he, he, in, in his playing days. He had a great spell at Leicester. Uh, and Celtic And then he went on to manage Celtic So oh, he's got enough experience of winning trophies um, and, and, and life as well um, I, knew, I knew he had always wanted to get back into the game He's had a couple of spells at Celtic And then he went to Hibernian and whatever Then things you know, started going after the second uh, Celtic uh, situation Now he's in Europe Which is, again is another great experience chapter for him in European football. And I'm sure you'll do your team uh, proud. There'll, there'll be a football inside. I'll tell you that right now. There'll, there'll be no other way to play but by playing football. And you will demand 100% of every player, which I think is great. And that's a landmark of Neil Lennon. Everything's got to be right. Everything's got to be 100%. And I'm sure that'll run through to your team.
1: Brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, so some some. Quick questions and maybe some quick answers from you. Sammy, the funniest thing you've seen in football, whether it's on the pitch or on the training ground? Well, funny, funniest thing. Well, I, I, I mean, funny, but it's not
0: really... Uh, I, I wouldn't like it to happen to me, put it like this. Uh, and, and it involves big Jerry uh, my pal and my ex teammate Danny Blanchflour was managing Northern Ireland at the time and we're playing in the international series and we're playing in Scotland. And as I said to you, we didn't really have what you call numbers in our squad, but everyone took it for granted in this day that if you're not starting, you'll be substitute. Danny read the team out in the hotel. Big Jerry wasn't playing. So obviously we get to Hamden Park and the team's out looking at the pitch. I come back, a few of the lads come back off the pitch and we see Jerry taking his gear off to get his substitute gear on and uh, Danny came to him and said Jerry, not today uh, you, you, you won't be involved in the squad and then I thought, oh my god you know, Big Jerry thought at least I'm not playing but I'll be there's uh, no, not today Jerry, you're sitting in the stand which was, uh, some of the lads had a little bit of a twitter about Big Jerry's face, you've never seen out like it in your life, you know but uh, that was that's the way we were and then Des, we all got behind Jerry and As I say, he he gets stripped for the next game. But certain things, certain moments that stand out in your career like that, um, it's just part and parcel of
1: Northern Ireland football at that time. Brilliant. Um, Three words to describe your debut versus Man City. Three words.
0: Best day ever. Brilliant, <laughs> fantastic. That's not bad for an Irishman,
1: you know. <laughs> <like that>. <laughs> work. Um, Sammy, winning at Wembley as a player and a manager, which was best? Oh, listen,
0: uh, I've always said to people, we and especially, playing football is the best thing you can do in football. Um, managing, don't get me wrong, is fantastic, especially when you win at Wembley you're looking after the supporters you're looking after the team you're looking after the chairman there sorry the the board and everything so winning is very very satisfying as a manager especially in in in, in big days at Wembley but as a player to win at Wembley there's no other place to win
1: brilliant uh, from a football perspective um the 1982 or 86 World Cup
0: um, I've got to say 82, obviously, even though I was captain of 86. But you understand the reasons why I don't say 86. Yeah. Um, 82, 82. The thought of first qualifying, um, especially for a little, little country like Northern Ireland, fantastic,
1: brilliant. Um, best goal, best goal you saw while you were on the pitch? Best goal I saw, yeah. Uh,
0: I've, I've seen some fantastic goals, and uh, I've seen George Best. Score fantastic goal at Old Trafford against West Ham when he went right across the box and beat three players, Bobby Moore included, and put the ball in the back of the net. Um, in my era, me and Wayne talked about this the other day. Gordon Hill's goal against Derby County in the semi-final at Hillsborough, uh, there, there, there's two. It stands out, and uh, there, there's many, many more. But you put me on the spot there, and them two, them two stand out.
1: Okay, um, should the Home Nation Championships return?
0: I never wanted them to stop, to be honest with you, when I was involved because it was a fantastic 10 days for the players, especially the Northern Ireland boys, because we had a great get together. Um, and we were the last team to win it, by the way. And um, so they were, they were great at the time, but England and England were the ones who didn't really want it because England and Scotland was a big day as far as they were concerned. The other couple of games they weren't really interested in, but, uh, We all loved playing, and the Irish boys, the Northern Irish boys, absolutely loved it. And it was a great 10 days. Uh, To have it come back the way the games are now, I don't think you've got a chance.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. And finally, um, Sammy, who was the best player you played against? And you can't say George in training.
0: No. um, Well, he was the best one i played with, there's no doubt about that. But the best one I've ever played against, i talked about before, that great Holland side, Johan Cruyff was an absolutely fantastic footballer. And um, great, and great, great, close to George, and that's been a fantastic tribute that to George because he was a hell of a player, Cruyff, um, Barcelona, Ajax, Holland. He could do he could do near enough everything. He could glide glide past players,
1: score goals, make goals. He could do everything. He was a great player. Excellent choice, and and that's it. I want to thank you both for your time. It's been it's been a privilege. Um, the book, The Last Busby Babe, the autobiography of Samuel McElroy, written with Wayne Barton, is out now. Um, in my opinion, it's a cracking read. Lots of great stories, wonderful memories from a wonderful career. Uh, the book also tackles the lows, Sammy endured as a player and a manager, um, while celebrating the memorable highs. The book also has a very human touch, which for me takes it, um, it makes it stand out more than just a footballer's story. It is emotive, it is passionate and chronicles a fascinating football career and life of one of Manchester United and Northern Ireland's most famous sons. Um, i would urge you to buy it and enjoy it. So thank you again, Sammy. Thank you, Wayne. Wayne, do you want to tell our viewers where they, where and how they can contact you on social media?
2: You know, they can get me at Wayne S. Barton on um, Twitter and Instagram. And if they, pass, if they do read the book and pass on any messages about enjoying it, I will be forwarding them to Sammy so he can see for himself
1: brilliant thank you again both um this has been mike Pieri, and this has been the no choftes podcast part of the shoot the defense media network you can catch me on twitter on at del Pieri and the network on at shoot the defense and until next time goodbye